This is the Bears Grove number 15, the generic edition. Just recently started a Bears Grove listener poll, and as a result, I'm going to be playing around with the format a bit while the results come in. The survey is purposely self-limiting because it requires folks to register with LiveJournal.com to be able to take it. Although it is free to do that, many people don't want to put up with the hassle of registering just to uh, answer a survey. However, I intend to interpret the results with that in mind. Anyone who's seen my show notes blogs will know that I'm blog agnostic, but there are some folks out there who virulently hate LiveJournal. However, as empathetic as to their pain as I am, I find that the survey creation tool on LJ to be much better than many of the other free survey sites. If you'd like to have your opinion count in the podcast, I suggest you hop over to the show notes blog, bearsgrove.blogspot.com, and follow the link to my live journal survey. I'll leave the survey up another week. In this podcast, we have the following segments. A religion and role-playing segment on holy days. Our GM-centric segment, The Storyteller's Circle, has some how-tos on the very first storyteller task, crafting an agreement with your players. In a Game With Me segment, we'll take a look at the seamier side of the city of Blackpool through the eyes of Tash Oakbin, Sidalian Scout Extraordinaire. And finally, we'll end with the podcast with some feedback. All this should take about 30 or 45 minutes. But first, I think we have time for a bear's growl. Generic is one of those terms that is both a good and a bad thing. Frequently, the only kind of medicine my partner Cynthia can afford with no health care insurance is generic. That's a good thing, a good kind of generic. Then there's the file all the uniqueness off kind of generic. I find that kind of generic abhorrent. So, what am I really talking about? Is this about GURPS, the generic universal role-playing system? No. First of all, ranting about GURPS is like kind of like ranting about fire. You can't really criticize GURPS until you know to what use it is being put. I've never myself run GURPS. Something about doing complicated math in order to run a game system has never flipped my trigger. But I know a lot of people who swear by it. I am actually ranting about the new world of darkness from White Wolf in general, not in specific. Obviously, I am going to be biased. I help write and design the old world of darkness. I've not played any of the New World of Darkness games, and I've only glanced at them briefly in the stores. Perhaps if I had, I wouldn't be ranting about this now, so that's my caveat. But let me just say this. In my day, a vampire game was a vampire game. A werewolf game was a werewolf game. If you wanted to play vampire, you played vampire. If you wanted to play a werewolf character in a vampire game, God knows why, but we'll go with it. You made the werewolf character conform to the statistics in the system of the vampire focus. The World Darkness games were built that way. It is not a generic universal system. It was never meant to be. A lot of people, though, wanted to cross the streams and mix the donuts. They wanted to play a ghouled, fey, blooded kinfolk acolyte of the Celestial Chorus. Even though the settings were mutually exclusive in many ways and trying... They try to jam them all together, and it's like playing Lawrence Welk, ZZ Top, and Billy Ray Cyrus in a mashup. A one and a two, and a she's got legs and an achy, breaky heart. It doesn't work. It wasn't meant to work that way. 
at all. I know. I was there at the birth of Werewolf the Apocalypse, Maze the Ascension, Wraith the Oblivion, and Changeling the Dreaming. They weren't born to share the same house, or eat the same food, or even go steady or date. They were each individually conceived of as a separate, completely standalone work. A lot of people point to their their non-genericity as evidence that they were broken and needed to be fixed. Bullshit. Their perception is what needs to be fixed. Don't get me wrong here. I blame White Wolf for wanting to cash in on yet another splat and their continuous need to do crossover books. I blame the periodical-focused, three-tiered games industry model of producers, distributors, and retailers, which required such a huge output of products, which in turn required more and more muddling of each game's specific vision. I blame the fans for demanding yet more and more Tremere, Sabat, Gedev, Fenris, Verbena, Troll, Pardners. Well, now you've got what you've asked for. The generic universal World of Darkness role-playing system. They've gone and genericized it for you and filed off the bits that poked out and made things complicated. So now you can role-play all your beasties in one happy little group. Congratulations. As for me, I'll be the one running Vampire the Masquerade in all its clunky, non-gerpsified glory for another generation of gamers. They know that a werewolf is a savage monster who will eat them if they don't kill them first. And that's all they need to know. They've learned enough already to know that playing any vampire game system without a clan Malkavian just isn't worth the trouble. Next up is our religion and role-playing segment. We use the word holiday many times without thinking about holy days, but that is the origin of the word. In any good in-game religion, you need to have already decided what holidays the religion holds to be important when you originally created that religion. The function that holidays serve in a religion is a way to mark the passage of time at a very minimalist level. Some holidays serve to tell stories about the beliefs of the faithful, either by commemorating a real event or a segment in a myth important to the religion. Others represent secular occasions important to the internal structure of the religion. Traditions and customs peculiar to the holiday will help enliven your setting and also provide you with plot hooks. Even if the players have no idea about religion, it's possible that they're, vis- that they're visiting a religious institution or a particularly religious area during a holiday may have its hidden benefits or suddenly reveal to them serious obstacles. In my fantasy game world, Coronai, there are a few holidays that stand out. Sirwin's Night is a holiday where the portals between the world and the Summerlands are particularly easy to traverse. Sirwin is a former Lothasian saint of the Order of Knowledge. Her, her epithet is the Lady of Mystery. Those who seek wisdom or knowledge or just a clue as to what they need to know participate in dances and special games with ink-soaked twine woven into structures called Sirwin's Knots. That's K-N-O-T. The festivities continue until 2 a.m., at which point all fall silent, and Sirwin is entreated to appear. 
It is said that those who truly come into the circle to ask Sirwin's aid at that time will receive some kind of holy inspiration. Although Sirwin is, some, is a somewhat aloof saint, her symbol is that of a cat, she has been known to gift the truly curious and responsive petitioners with clues towards solving mysteries that present themselves to them. The holy days of the Church of Oriel, we have talked about before, are Everheel, which usually takes place on or near the spring equinox, and Heartsful, which is a celebration of love in all its forms at the summer solstice. Everheel is a celebration of healing and involves a lot of gathering of medicinal herbs and healing rituals and a general going over the entire community to make sure that people who uh, need healing receive it. The small cult of St. Sidal has a Sidal Day festivity that involves deep and sincere caretaking of the community as well. People are encouraged to go out and make a difference in each other's lives, and if nothing else, commit to doing work that sustains their family and community. I think you can see from these examples that holidays provide opportunities for story settings and backdrops. They provide creative means by which you can use to engage the players and make the religion seem a bit more real, which can have its own benefits, particularly if there's a religious PC in the group. Don't forget that sometimes a religious PC may gain special magical benefits from a specific holiday, um, and that could be the subject of a very um, dramatic part of the story. Next up, we have the Storyteller's Circle. In the Storyteller's Circle this week, I'd like to talk about one of the most important tasks you can accomplish with your players. No, it's not getting the dice out and painting your miniatures and buying snacks and drinks for everybody. It's making sure you and your players are in agreement from the start. Agreement about what? Well, about everything. From the logistics of when and where your game meets to the game itself and beyond. So many people just assume that a role-playing game event is the same across the board for everyone, and it isn't. So it's important to talk about your expectations from the start. Here are some questions to ask specifically about logistics. Where are we playing? At what time? Can we arrive early? How late can we stay? Are there any special rules or etiquette of the house I need to know about? Like, for example, do you people take off their shoes before coming inside? That sometimes happens. What meals are we going to have here? Who is bringing or paying for what? What should I bring or pay for? If you have allergies, are they being looked after? Are you going to need your allergy meds? Who is in charge of canceling the game session if it needs to be canceled? What is expected of someone who can't make the game due to sickness or some other reason? Next, think about the kind of game you're going to run. A narrator-focused game is one where the players are the audience and the GM is the narrator. The players only have control over what their characters do and say. A subset of this particular kind of game is a GM antagonistic game, where the players and the GM are actively working against each other in the game to defeat each other. A participation-focused game is 
is where the players are equal partners in the story creation and are encouraged to bring in plot elements and other aspects of the game and be an equal partner in the overall direction of the story. Decide what role-playing game system you're going to use. Ideally, everybody who is playing will have access to the core rules for the system, but if that is not possible, arrange for everybody to have something that helps them play the game a handout, or other extra information they may need. Be upfront with your players, the kind of game you're thinking about running. Be as detailed as you possibly can. No amount of prep work in this area can be bad. Giving the players sample characters to look at. Describing the kinds of scenes you'll be taking part in. Giving a man-on-the-street level background. No spoilers, but things everybody might know about the setting. Let your players know whether you see the game having a definitive start, middle, and ending, or if you just plan on continuing the game as an ongoing serial for as long as folks want to play. Talk about how to handle characters who die, players who leave the game, and players who want to join the game. Talk about the maximum number of players you'll accept, the minimum number of players required before you disband the game, how many game sessions someone must miss before they're considered out of play permanently, and how to handle situations where players conflict due to out-of-game situations. Talk to your players about the character development system of your game, and talk openly about your idea as to how fast characters should develop. Some play people have very different ideas about this. Some players care about it very deeply, and other players don't even notice. It's hard, but talk about cheating with your players. If the game is heavy towards the gamest, win or lose, end of things, cheating may be a very serious crime against the game. On the other hand, if the game is more of a diceless sort of game, maybe it's not possible to cheat. If you're concerned about cheating, what are some of the ways you will use to keep your players honest? What are some of the consequences of discovering cheating for your group? Especially talk about consent. What kind of stories people are up for, what sort of plots and storylines that are okay for people, and what kind of plots and storylines that are not okay. That's very important. For very intense games, like Wraith the Oblivion, for example, develop a safe word that people can use to stop the course of the game and give them an out. Safe words, if established, should be always honored although the point of a safe word is to act as a safety valve, not as the main way you handle the idea of consent in your game. So if you're pulling the safe word all the time, you need to sit down and refigure everything and make it a little bit more consensual. Finally, talk to your players about the kind of experience you'd like for them to have in general in the game and tell them what kind of experience you want to get out of the game. Don't just talk about all these things. Write them down. Take notes. And when you're done taking notes, boil them all down into an agreement. And you can go so far as to put the agreement to a vote, or otherwise all agree to it, and place it online, or give a copy to everybody, or both. An agreement isn't worth the paper it's not printed on if you just talk about it and do nothing further. Making a gaming agreement between you and your players will help make your game sustainable, pleasurable, and fun for everybody. It may seem like a lot of work, especially when you're just starting up a game, but 
in the end, it will be worth it. Just the act of thinking and talking about these issues will help you and your gamers to cope better with the game's social requirements as a whole. Next up, we have the Game With Me segment. Oh, hello there, all. I, uh, my name is Tush Oakpin, and I'm really uh, very uh, pleased to meet you. I um, understand that uh, you're friends with Lady Maria. Um, uh, she sent you over this way. And, uh, well, you want to come see uh, the really dark side of Blackpool, eh? Oh, God, it's not a very good place. But I guess I could take you. Why don't you follow me? Alright, first we go down the street of the Red Lanterns. I'm really not going to talk much about what they do here. You can sometimes hear good gossip, though, if you listen to some of the girls talking. Uh, and the scandal sheets come out of here. You know about the scandal sheets, right? They don't have them anywhere else. But uh, the ladies of the houses, they talk... And they come up with, uh, well, little bits and pieces. And they write them down for people. And then they send them to their sorcerer friends, their magickers. And the magickers make copies of it for them and give them out to other folks. So it's, uh, well, it's interesting reading sometimes. Then, uh, let's see... Now, after we go down the street of the Red Lanterns, we're going to pass the Silver Tower, which is a really nice place I hear. I've never been myself, but my goodness. Very expensive, I'm told. And we keep going, and we're going to walk through the gate into the lower part of Little Kashan, which is the Changyan part of the city. The Changyans are, uh, well are completely different sort of people. Very difficult to understand sometimes. But they're, uh... They have a really nice part here with these tea houses, which actually are right off the street of the Red Lanterns. I've never been there either, but I've heard about them. And now we come to the border where Little Kashan bleeds right into the Butcher's Block, which is... Well... This is the real bad part of town. You can tell the number of nail speakers running around here. You know, nail. It's, uh... Oh, it's a language. It's a guttural language they all speak. It's words for... Nail is trade in their language. Just like you and I speak trade, they speak nail. But, uh... Well, I'll tell you. This place is really dangerous. Why? Well, mostly because the watch, they avoid this place like the plague. And I think that part of it is on a purpose. You know, what they say about business here. There are plenty of warehouses here, though. Old warehouses. Places where, once upon a time, this area of the city was quite prosperous, but... Now, if you look, they, uh... Mm, it's terrible. Terrible what they do to this place. Anyway. Here. There. there there's the place. It's a bar called the, the Trolls Club. Never has there been a more 
well, you know the story. It's a really bad place, okay? I would take you there, but uh, you don't really look too keen. So we'll, let's keep on going. I'll come around the corner here. We'll go down a little bit and come through Hairpin Turn. If you don't watch out, uh, you might find yourself quite a bit lighter as you walk through this area, if you take my meaning. But they won't bother you if they see me with you. What? No, no I'm a scout, you see. That's a, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a thief. I'm a scout. That's what I... I, I scout things. That's what I do. That's, that's my job. I scout. All right. Just so you understand. I'm a mercenary. I, I've got my... Papers and everything. I'll show you. Here. Let's go down the Street of the, of the Swords. The Street of the Swords is where the Mercenaries Guild is. And we are the only city in the whole of the magical country that has a lovely Mercenaries Guild. So prominent. The Mercenaries Guild is a great place to be, but you have to be sponsored in by another mercenary. If you're not, then you can't be. So, at any rate... It's a great place because you can get a very hot meal and a bed and there's a bar in there and you can get, you know, you can have all the comforts of home while you're waiting on your next contract. So, let's see. What else? Ah, yes. The shops here. The, the Rusty Battle Axe. The Rusty Battle Axe is a bar manned by a lady named Spike. And why is she called Spike? Well, she's kind of a spiky woman. She likes to throw sharp objects at people if they bother her. So, uh, well, she's got a line of battle axes she keeps along the back wall. And if you get out of hand there, she'll start throwing them at you one by one. And they hurt. They hurt a lot. So, uh, well, it's a fairly safe place to be. Nobody wants to tick her off, so you can go there and have a conversation and be relatively sure that no one's going to start something. Well, I've taken you through the places. I've shown you some of the darker parts of the city. And, well, I hope you liked it. <sighs> Look, watch your back on the way home, okay? It's not safe out here. Well, next up is the feedback section. Uh, I got some feedback this week, and I'm very, very happy about it, even if uh, some of it's hard to hear, but that's okay. I really enjoyed uh, getting it, and I did ask for it, and uh, the way I look at it is if I ask for it, I can't really complain about it when I get it. First up, we have Soul Song. She uh, wrote to me via live journal. She says... By the way, I loved your podcast on gender. I'd like to hear more on religion and role-playing, which is often my favorite part, as it allows me to explore the self-integrity of other philosophical points of view. I know some might say that role-playing romance is about self-exploration also, but I'd believe that more easily if the people defending it didn't come all over all wild-eyed and start smelling like an elephant in heat whenever the prospect of a role-playing relationship came up. But anyway... Let's not get distracted. Your section on gender was excellent, especially the part about not assuming stereotypical roles. 
I've noticed particularly when creating characters for my story writing, it's so hard to get sufficient complexity and so tempting to make do with a shallow shell of a character just because the putting of words on the page is so much fun and adding microscopic character traits and keeping them always in mind is so much hard work for me. As for Diceless RPGs, do you find this is a function of age and maturity? I know that when I was younger, I was into the dice and the levels and the stats and the simulation of accurate combat, so I could picture the dance in my mind. At least I thought I was. Even then, the best roleplay I ever experienced was one with the strong characterizations. Everyone had a distinctive accent and mannerisms, and almost no combat whatsoever. So I guess maybe I just didn't know any better. But I will say that the idiotic simplicity of the old D&D combat system annoyed me intensely. I enjoyed myself much more when White Wolf games came along and their sophisticated stories and complex morality where I could basically ignore the character sheet for hours at a time. Thanks so much for that feedback, Soul Song. And we, we did talk a little bit more about romance in the comments uh, in the live journal entry. And we, I think we sort of, sort of talked that to death, so if you're interested, you can go look at that. Um, I wanted to respond briefly and say that, yes, you're right, that um, I think age and maturity has an aspect um, it, when you're talking about a diceless game. Diceless is not always possible with uh, younger people. However, I would say that it really just depends on the individual. Uh, Katharina and I have uh, before role-played in totally diceless situations where, you know, she was uh, role-playing uh, complex conflicts without actually needing to have dice rolled, which I thought was really cool. So it's not uh, a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. There is... Um, obviously a continuum there and I have to agree that I have had the most fun uh, playing Diceless but at the same time um, I've also had a great deal of, t deal of fun playing uh, D&D 3rd Edition where we used all the rules and everybody had their miniatures on a map and we did lots of strategic gamist kind of things it was a lot of fun Next up, we have a response from Andrew Craig. Andrew says, Hi, Sam. I've been an irregular rest listener for a while now. I enjoy some aspects of the show, but not others. And that's why I've held off writing until now. But a week of no feedback is rough, and it spurred me into action. So here is a bunch of, here's a bunch of my thoughts. Well, Andrew, I just wanted to say, interject right here. Look, uh, everybody... You know, if you uh, don't like what you hear, I would be honored for you to let me know what you think. Mainly because if you do bother to take the time, like Andrew did, to let me know that you, you know, had an objection, that at least gives me the honor and the respect and the, um, the benefit of your information, your knowledge, your thoughts. And I really appreciate that. Um... Even if it is a negative response, it's something. And I'm not just talking into the vacuum here. But let's go on reading Andrew's letter. Uh, Andrew talks about Diceless Play. I have 
Play Diceless, I got into AD&D 2nd Edition when I was 10 or so, and quickly developed a dislike for the often nonsensical rules, and I somehow developed the notion that the best role players didn't use dice anyway, so from there it was a short step for rules to play an increasingly minor role, and we did get some pretty cool stories out of it. Play at this time had a more literary feel, I think. There was a strong sense of authoring a story. But all that changed with D&D 3rd Edition. Suddenly the rules made sense. We gave it a try, and man, it was so much more exciting. The unpredictable outcome simply suddenly took games in crazy new directions. I'm going a bit sour on 3rd Edition now, but I think I'd find it hard to go back to diceless and rules rulesless. For me, the randomness produces a feeling of being in the story rather than writing it, and I've found I joy... I'm, and I've found I enjoyed the former more. Now, this got me thinking about the relationship between rules-less play and reading. I see them as sort of similar. Whether something happens is entirely based on author decisions, but I find reading much more exciting. This surprised me when I first realized it, and after some consideration, I've decided it's because of the distance between author and audience. With a book, I usually don't know much about the author beyond their name. It's easy to imagine the story really happening out there in Storyland. But when I'm an author, when I'm an author, and my co-author is sitting across the table from me, it's pretty hard to get away from the notion that he only survived that because we decided he did. Oh, and be a little careful of using the term narrativist in the way you were. This leads me to... Forge terminology. Ology, ology, ology. I've been lurking on the Forge for a good year now. Uh, sorry, that was my addition, the, the echoes. He didn't actually write that. Um, I've been lurking on the Forge for a good year now, and seeing it mentioned favorably or unfavorably in show notes is the easiest way to get me to listen to a podcast. So I was really happy to hear you talk about it two weeks in a row. But you have to be careful with Forge terminology. I think it's safe to say that almost no Forge term has an intuitive definition. I think that might be the truest statement yet. Uh, That's my side side comment. I spent a long time grinding through the essays and the provisional glossary trying to figure it all out. Gosh, I did too. And I think that I have now. This is my take on GNS. Gameism is playing to win. The important part is competition, be it against the other players to GM or the rules. Narrativism, playing to explore premise, where premise here means a theme or an issue that can be resolved into a theme. Simulationist is playing to explore. The important part is setting or character or story, but not premise. Simulationism is a bit vague and much broader than the other two. It's what I fit into, and I think it might be where you fit into, too. If I understand your shows correctly, stories are critical in your games rather than the themes. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. The idea of diceless play being more narrativist is sort of flawed, though, I think. If the game's about addressing premise, it's narrativist. If it's not, it's not. One of the big movements at the Forge has been about making narrativist games with lots of rules and dice to formalize those elements of story that were traditionally left totally in the hands of the players. By the way, the important thing with GNS, I believe, is not to describe some styles of play as better or, or worse, but to recognize the players that players want different things from their games. 
if I game with a hardcore gamist, chances are we're going to have trouble. Our aims are too disparate. Okay, so now some general feedback about the show. What I like. I really like the fact that you're making a focus of role, romance and role-playing. I've never played games that featured romance, but as it's one of the things I enjoy most in the fantasy novels I read, I'm keen to try it one day. I also like the Game With Me segment. I really like hearing about personal gaming accounts. When you introduced the segment, I really sat up. What I'd like more of. Personal stories. I'd love to hear an actual account of romance working in your game. And critically, not just the in-character stuff, but what was going on with the players. Lists of, here's how to do romance, are interesting, but I've, heard, but I've heard a few of them now, and I still don't feel any closer to being able to implement it in a game. I think one good actual play account would be worth so much more. I'd like to hear more out-of-character accounts with ga- in Game With Me, too. Take Blackpool, for example. I'd like to hear what you were thinking as you made it. And how did you make it? Did you just come up with stuff on the fly? Did the players suggest things? Did the players author things? Why did you make the decisions you did? Now brace yourself. If I'm writing feedback, I might as well be honest. What I'd like less of. The intro. The music. The monologue. I almost switched it off the first time I heard it. The end. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Now, I absolutely know I'm not entirely in your demographic. I've actually stopped the the podcast during Sex and Gaming. And there are still some episodes I haven't listened to. So you can take my opinions with a grain of salt. But I think the Bears Grove has great potential, so I'm keen to see where you take it. Keep podcasting, Andrew Craig. P.S. You should put your email address on the Bears Grove blog, or if it's there already, you should put it at the top. Well, Andrew, uh, gosh, you wrote a very long letter, and I really appreciate the time you took to write me back. Um, I will have to go back to the Forge and do a little bit more reading. Obviously, uh, I may not understand narrativism as much as I thought I was. So I'll take a look at that and see if I can get a better handle on it. I thought I had one, but maybe I didn't. Um, Let's see, what else? Wanted to talk, uh, wanted to respond back to your diceless role playing uh, statement. Uh, it is a more literary feel, and I think that the whole concept of a story really happening out there in the storyland, uh, you know, when you're the author and and the co-author is sitting across the table from you. Uh, I got what I got from that is that you kind of felt like it rang a little hollow when things went a certain way or not, and uh, you like the elements of the randomness that cause things to be a little bit more unknowable, uh, so that you didn't have to say, "Well, you know, we decided the character died or whatever." And I think that. Um, the way I would respond to that is that it's possible that um, that kind of uh, experience can be still gotten within the diceless uh, framework, but you have to be willing to step out of the stance of player slash storyteller and go more into an author stance where you're saying, okay, what is the best you know, outcome for the story, not necessarily for the players or the characters, 
but what you know what demands does the story require and at that point if you follow that as your rule as the main guideline then what you're going to have is a little bit more of a realistic or a real like less of a you know echo chamber kind of experience i feel at least that's the kind of thing i do with cynthia um there have been times when we were sitting across the way from each other crying because we knew that these some people were dying that we didn't want to die we really would would have preferred they didn't in the course of the story but this was happening for real for us and as far as far as we were concerned the story was telling itself through us so um you know there have been times when things have gotten so bad in the story that uh we've had to sort of take a break and get and walk away from it for a little while but we always trust that whatever is best for the story is going to come out and that if nothing else we're telling a really great story and that um even if everything is not hunky dory um at the moment it will eventually work out and because we have a commitment to each other that the storylines will eventually come around to some kind of happy ending that is just the way we play um i think that that strengthens our resolve to go forward and to sort of find the positivity in the overall experience while being as uh true to the story as possible finally i just wanted to say that your letter among other things other people's comments was part of what i used as a basis for beginning my listener survey which i talked about at the beginning of the podcast and i'm just trying new things and trying different things and i I do really appreciate the suggestions the romance uh in role-playing segments and game with me segments and i will attempt to uh fill the bill so thank you very much well, you've come to the end of another Bear's Grove. Amazing, isn't it? And I'd like to let you know that uh, there will be no music tonight on the end because this is the generic edition. So I'll give you a few minutes, a few seconds of silence so that your iTunes doesn't segue my last words off into nothingness. But uh, before I go... Uh, I wanted to ask you the feedback question for next week. The feedback question of the week is what do you do to prepare for your games? I still want your feedback. You can email me at bearsgrove at gmail.com. You can call me on the Bearsgrove hotline 206-888-2327 and uh I would really like it if I could get some more feedback. You can also find your way over to the My Live Journal and post there. Obviously, people do. You can send me a carrier pigeon with a radioactive uh, micro dot. But, uh, I, you know, I will take feedback any way you can get it to me. Uh, I guess for the Bears Grove, this is Sam Chupp, and I appreciate you listening. Bye. The Bears Grove comes to you under a Creative Commons license. Attribution. No derivatives. No commercial use. 
Thanks. <laughs>